Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi, I'm Jason Falls. I am the Executive Vice President for Marketing at Scipio.ai and the Executive Producer of the Marketing Podcast Network. I eat, sleep, and breathe influencers and podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Jason. So can you maybe talk a little bit about the most exciting thing that you're up to right now? Well, I mean, obviously, in I spend a lot of my time in the influencer marketing world, and that's a big thing right now for brands. And so uh, at Scipio.ai, we are you know, really kind of fine-tuning what we do to help brands collect user-generated content to fuel their you know, paid and, and owned media campaigns. And so I'm doing everything I can to get the word out there about how we do it and that we do it a little bit differently than other people and uh, just trying to make sure that people know what's going on in the world of UGC and, and community influence marketing. Yeah, I love it. And just kind of diving you right into the tactics, uh, can you maybe talk about a little bit more about your team, about your company, about the company you work for and you maybe your current kind of team and yeah, what sure. that team structure looks like? Yeah, sure. Well, we're still an early stage startup, so we don't have a whole lot of people, but uh, we have a very uh, talented and nimble team um, from a uh, you know leadership and management perspective. We've got an executive team, I think, of six people, maybe seven people. I, I sometimes lose count, but um, it's it's made up of Sandeep Sumgavi, our CEO and chairman, um, who does a lot of our investor relations and fundraising and things like that, as as most CEOs and chairmen do. Grosson Edwards is our chief operating officer and president. And so he is the guy who kind of stop gaps and goes into our customer success team and make sure that they're running well. Then he'll work with me for a few weeks on marketing, make sure we're running really well. Then he'll jump over to Ron Benamore, our, our head of growth, and talk about sales and work on that. And so um, we've got, and then of course, we've got an incredibly talented engineering and tech team, uh, Jin Yin and uh, Herschel. Uh, Shaw are in charge of that, and they do a fantastic job. So uh, we've got a, a small executive team, and then we have teams of people in various places uh, around the world. We've got uh, several people here in the United States. We've got several uh, talented folks on our team in the Philippines. We've got several talented folks on our team from India. Um, and so we truly are a virtual global company. Probably, I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 people now, right now. And, uh, you know, growing a little bit at a time as we continue to grow the business. That's super great to hear. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your specific kind of leadership approach when it comes to leading a distributed team? Sure. So I am, you know, uh, as a part of the leadership team, uh, I'm typically not the the person who calls all the shots. But from a marketing perspective, you know, we really are a, a very flat organization. We're a team. Everybody's at the table together. Um, not just the executive team, everyone. And so we like to uh, say that, you know, uh, no idea is a bad idea and, and, and good ideas can come from anywhere. And so we have, I think, a very collaborative environment where everybody's at the table contributing to what we're doing, whether it's, you know, uh, an internal, you know, sort of planning session where we're talking about growing the business or uh, making changes to the platform, or if we're on a client conference call, I mean, the the there are several members of the customer success team uh, that join me and or Ron Benamore, our head of growth and head of sales, uh, or Gross and Edwards on calls, and we literally are everybody's at the table with kind of an equal voice in what's going on, uh, because we know that you know our 
uh, customer success team, the folks that handle our managed services and work directly with our clients and the creators that they uh, connect with every day, they know more about the granular, you know, structure and and the the day to day operations than I do necessarily. So I can I can sort of say, hey, from a big picture point of view, here's what we're trying to do, or here's the strategy. But it takes everybody sitting at the table and and putting those inputs in for us to be able to make really smart decisions across the board. So I love being in a very uh, collaborative, flat organization. It's not, you know, top down, you know, follow marching orders or anything like that. And that makes it a lot more fun and and uh, it makes everybody feel more valued, I think, in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree more um, with like uh, someone who's also, you know. Um, definitely has kind of has the same sort of like flat leadership approach style of like making sure everyone feels heard. Something that can occasionally come up with that is particularly if you have people in all over the world and, you know, different cultures, whether it's in India or Europe or America, um, and even just within America itself, like there's different, you know, ways that people are kind of thinking about things. How do you ensure that, you know, you kind of walk, make sure that people do really do feel it is a collaborative environment? In, in maybe for a country where that maybe isn't so much the norm? Yeah, and I think that comes uh, down to, you know, the leadership of the organization and the, and the individual managers that are running calls and whatnot, being very proactive about, you know, sort of pulling that information and that collaborative input from people. So, um, you know, Grosson Edwards is great about that. He's our president and COO. And when we're on a call and we have even a new member of the team on the call and we're talking about something, he'll literally call them out and say, Hey, you know, you know, Joe, what do you think? You know, you, you're, you're new to this, but you also have experiences from outside the organization. We want to hear what you think too. So being a leader or a manager, I think it's important if you want to get that sort of buy-in and that collaborative environment, especially with new people or people, like you said, who are in different cultures, who maybe aren't used to raising their hand and chiming in. They're more used to just taking their, you know, list of things to do and going and doing it. Uh, to be very proactive about incorporating them and including them uh, in the conversation, drawing some some input out of them. What are your experiences? You know, tell us about your you know client work yesterday. Did you run into anything? And once you start to elicit that from people, especially if they're new or from different cultures, they quickly sort of you know get some ahead of steam of confidence of hey they value my opinion. They value my contribution here. And so very quickly that, uh, that cultural barrier kind of comes down and they're now a part of the collaborative team. So it takes the manager or leader, I think being very proactive about knowing that those cultures are different, um, and being very, very inclusive intentionally with those people. Yeah. I love that. I have like three follow-up questions from what you shared there. Um, for starters, when you were talking about kind of being proactive and, openly kind of just like, you know, making, encouraging people to kind of give their feedback in productive ways. Do you have any like go-to strategies that you've used recently or even just an example of like how you've been able to kind of do that very proactively? Well, it literally goes back to just simply making sure that you're, you're proactively asking them questions. So um, for instance, not too long ago, we were on a call um, with a client talking about uh, some of the feedback we were getting from creators in terms of, you know, are they liking the product? How are they using the product? Things of that nature. And sort of the the leader of our customer success team was, you know, sort of, you know, answering the questions and 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 speaking for his team, which included two other members. And so I think it was Gross and Edwards, our, again, as I mentioned earlier, our, our president and COO, 
like intentionally went to the other two members of that team and said, so, you know, he's told us his experience and I know that's kind of speaking for the group, but are there any specifics that you've encountered with some of the creators you've talked to that you can think of to share? And I think one of them was like, no, he, he pretty much covered it all, but the other one had a few other things to say. And so again, it's just proactively eliciting that information and that feedback um, and, and until people get so comfortable that they just do it naturally. Yeah, absolutely. And you hinted at this a few minutes ago when you were talking a little bit about onboarding. Are there things that you like to do when you're over onboarding a new team member into the marketing team uh, in particular that, you know, help them, you know, A, get up to speed and feel like, you know, a little less of a newcomer and more included from day one? Sure. One thing that we've started to do recently, or I've started to do recently, um, because I'm I'm getting ready to onboard somebody new, and I, I very intentionally have done this, some of our internal calls and, and even a couple of client calls, because we pretty much, you know, with, with our Zoom meetings and our virtual things these days, we have these AI note takers that, you know, video record the calls and everything. So I've actually been making a note uh, of the calls that we record so that when I onboard someone, I can say, hey, I want you to get a feel for how we work because your contribution here is very, very important. I don't want you to be a fly on the wall watching and listening. I want you to participate. So here's a, you know, a 15 minute call we did the other day and I can send them right to the video so that they can sit and watch and just sort of see the interactions. And I'm being very intentional about saying, I don't necessarily need you to understand what's going on on that call in terms of the client or the problem that we're tackling or the thing we're discussing. I just want you to see how the, all the members of the team contribute. And so I'll kind of in the back of my mind, if I'm on a call and say, oh, you know, I'm, we're getting a lot of input from a bunch of different people. I'll kind of flag that, save the link to that recording, and then share that with a new onboarded employee. I think that's a, a really clever use. Uh, of these call recordings is to make sure that you're flagging them for those internal purposes uh, beyond just making sure you got all your notes, but also sharing with new team members to let them see how the culture works and how you're com communicating and collaborating together. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. And there's even a note taker on when we're chatting right now, um, mm -hmm. I believe it's called good meetings or whatnot. What is your take on kind of AI note takers in general and, you know, which ones do you think are the best and what are the most kind of interesting use cases that you're using them for besides obviously onboarding? Sure. So I'm glad you asked me that question because we've, we've been kind of clever with how we're trying to implement ours. You mentioned good meetings um, and on this call, and that, that might actually be uh, mine that's chimed in there because we've got it set up to automatically join Zoom meetings. And what good meetings does and the reason I like it so much is, um, it, it records the video and the audio, obviously it records, you know, basically the entire meeting, uh, but then it also transcribes it and pulls out highlights and whatnot in terms of, uh, and I've looked at Firefly and a couple of others in terms of, um, you know, the AI itself, and I'll speak about this in general, you know, AI is not perfect. It's, you know, it's supposed to get you 80 to 90% there, and there still has to be some human interaction with it to make it really work. But in terms of the, the meeting and call recordings, most of those, um, you know, most of that content's only going to be used internally. You're going to share the, the video or the notes or the transcription with internal team members. And so you don't have to worry too much about everything being, you know, perfect from a grammar perspective or all the spelling being right. Um, but I, I really like it because it just, it, it has a permanent document of what's going on. Uh, within the lifespan of your company, within the lifespan of that particular client, if it's specific to, uh, you know, a client topic or call. And the way that we're using it 
um, I think rather creatively, um, you know, this again, I got to go back to Gross and Edwards, our president and COO. He actually went through several client calls and pulled out, you know, high praise that they gave us during the calls and sent me a list of them as, as hey, here's some here's some, uh, you know, uh, ratings and review quotes from our customers that we can use in marketing. And I said, well, let's make sure that they're okay with us using that because they may not have remembered or knew that they were actually being recorded. So we put together a list and we sent them the recording and said, here's what you said. Are you okay with us using that? And so now we're using those internal calls with clients as a source to get praise quotes, to put on marketing materials and, and, uh, and on our website and whatnot. So it's been uh, kind of a fun use of that. And because we're we have a video of that call, we actually put together a little three minute video of our clients directly. Like we just took a video screenshot, you know, of the call and edited the, those together into, hey, if you don't believe us that that Scipio.ai is a great platform, listen to our customers and clients, and we just have this like montage of clients on calls with us saying how much they are enjoying the platform and how much time it's saving them and so on and so forth. So that's probably the my favorite use of it, uh, in addition to the letting internal new hires and whatnot see our calls so that they can understand what we're expecting from them. That is such a clever use case. And actually, that's the first time I've ever heard someone say, oh, we're already on all these client calls anyway. Now we have these AI tools that literally we can just literally chop it up and put it into a montage send it over to the client, make sure they're obviously okay with it, given that, you know, it was an internal call, but that's such a smart way to come up with testimonials. I'm going to take like it basically 10 feet back and probably open up a can of worms. Um, what is your take when it comes to AI, ChatGPT, AI, and all the myriad of AI tools that have developed in the last year or two? Like, where do you kind of see that happening right now? Like, what is your general, you know, take on it? Well, my general take on it is, uh, and I've already sort of mentioned this, is it gets you 80 to 90% there if you're using it to create content, any type of content, whether it's internal or external. So like, for instance, if you're having, you know, chat GPT write an article or a blog post for you, um, you know, copying and pasting that into your, you know, WordPress and publishing it is not a good idea. You, you want to look at it. You want to make sure it's got your tone of voice. You want to go through and maybe change a little bit of it so that it's not verbatim what ChatGPT kicked out. Not that the, the pros that ChatGPT or any other AI tool that kicks out isn't good. It's just, it's it's a, a computer. It's formulaic. It's based on an algorithm, right? So if you put the same prompt in to 10 different machines, you're going to get very similar results because they're basing that you know on an algorithmic data that uh, is not going to have a whole lot of variety, I don't think. Uh, if you do it over and over again. So you need to make sure that your tone of voice is there. You're looking at and adding that human element to editing any type of content. And I would say that's even true for internal content. So you can go to ChatGPT. One of my favorite uses of it is I can go to ChatGPT and say, okay, I want you to uh, kick out a content strategy or a brand strategy or a brand guide for this particular company based on what's on their website and based on what's on their social channels, right? So you can have these sort of internal marketing directional documents created automatically for you. But you, again, you don't want to just copy and paste them and say, here's your brand guide. You want to go through and make sure that it got all the points. It didn't miss anything because again, this is a computer it's only working with a, a finite set of information, even though that finite set is very large, it may not be everything. I actually did just as a playing around with the tool not too long ago, I asked it to make a brand guide for one of our clients because they didn't really have one. And so I was going to 
you know, try to whip one up for them as quick as I could and say, hey, here's a framework that you guys can start and build your own brand guide. And I looked in it and was reading through it. And when it got to the brand colors, it only had one color uh, in their, you know, brand style guide color palette. Well, they have four or five different colors. So it's going to miss things. You know, it's not perfect. So I would always recommend that you add that layer of human review and, and human interaction to make sure that what you're putting out into the world, whether it's internal or external, is really what you want. But I also think that AI in all of the different you know, avenues that it's currently being implemented, whether it's creating content or whether it's analyzing and filtering content, which is primarily what we use it for at Scipio.ai and our UGC and influencer marketing work, I think that it is um, an amazing tool for making you much more efficient with your time. Um, I don't have to sit down and think about 30 different blog posts to populate my blog for the next two months. I can go to chat GPT and say, here are the topics that I want to talk about. Here's the level of expertise that I want to share. Here's the types of, of resources that I want to cite in these articles. Give me 30 headlines and then let me go write them. Or I'll take each headline and say, you know, write an outline for this particular post. And then I'll go back and add my layer of expertise on top of that. So it's saving me a ton of time researching when I'm writing. It's saving me a ton of time doing a lot of research and analysis when I'm building brand guides and things like that. And so I think it's it's one of those revolutionary tools that's going to change the way a lot of us work. I'm not necessarily worried about it, uh, you know, taking people's jobs, although I'm sure that will happen in some regard, because I really feel like you still have to have that human element interacting with the machines in order to produce really good work out of it. I've heard of many people kind of talk and I, I don't remember where I read this. So maybe I'm not a footnote to my podcast editor to add something in later, but Someone was talking about how ChatGPT is almost like essentially like what the app store was for iPhones and smartphones. Would you agree or something like that? Or do you actually think it's a little bit different? And do you think kind of ChatGPT is maybe just like so very early on and, you know, five years from now, it's going to look completely different? Well, I, I definitely, I mean, five years is a long time in the world of technology. So I definitely think the world's going to look and AI is going to look very, very different five years from now. I really feel like in, in terms of content creation, you know, chat GPT is probably going to eventually have a version that you can say, hey, write an article and then uh, create original art to go along with the article or create original video that goes along with the article that that probably will happen at some point. You can sort of, you know, using natural language processing, pop in some video instructions and it'll create a 60 second video to go along with what you're doing. That's going to happen at some point. Some of the video AI tools are already doing versions of that where you can take existing stock footage and say, take the people out, make them all robots or make them all rabbits or whatever like that. That exists now. So these things are going to come fast and it's definitely going to change over the course uh, of the next uh, uh, five years or so. I really am excited about what that means uh, for marketers. I'm really excited about that, what, what that means for all of us. And I'm I'm just kind of you know, sitting back like everybody else and waiting to see what's next, because I think the future is going to be amazing uh, for what we can do, but we all have to stay on top of it. And again, have that layer of human review and interaction with it to make sure that we're, uh, we're using it wisely. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of going to one of your points before where it's like, I absolutely 
and like kind of a, sometimes like it's so actually a little bit fun just to play around with mid journey in particular when it comes to just how much you can actually create with you know a text prompt in discord and it's kind of crazy to think about you know how you know it's already it's already pretty good like what's that going to look like two years from now five years from now ten years from now kind of a follow on to what you were saying before is like you know we don't really know what's going to look like next and obviously for some you know marketers like myself um who are really excited by that but there's quite a few who maybe are like you know very very fearful and you know worried about it you know lose you know like take a bunch of jobs there's ethical concerns to think about legal concerns to think about for someone maybe who's a little bit more fearful about AI who might be listening to this what are some ways they can start to like you know educate themselves about it and learn it so they maybe don't get left behind well that's a great question and I think if you are skeptical or fearful of AI um you know I think it it really is all about the the attitude that you have in approaching it so I would encourage you to go to a chat GPT um, and say, look, I'm not using this to write content for me. I'm using this to do my background research. I'm using this to um, help me write an outline, make my you know time more productive. If if you go at it as if you're a writer, particularly because I'm a kind of a writer by craft, if I were to go to an AI tool and say, okay, I'm going to use this to help me write, then I can start to see where you're like, wait a minute, this is replacing my brain. This is replacing my skill set. This is dangerous for my craft. But if I go to it and say, this is a tool to help me be more efficient with my time and energy so that I can have research done faster, which leaves me more time to write deeper, better prose around that research and around that data. Now, all of a sudden, your attitude about what that tool and mechanism is changes and you have less fear and see more opportunity. So as AI grows, I think if you can talk yourself into Changing your attitude a little bit, looking at it not as replacing your work or not as being dangerous, but as being something that if you are controlling it uh, and you are leveraging it for, again, the right type of work, you know, the background work, the support work, not the primary craft that you're putting out there, then I think you can start to understand and see how it can be useful. And that'll open the door as new innovations with AI come along where you don't have to have that knee-jerk fear reaction. You can actually start by saying, okay, what are the opportunities here? How can I leverage this as opposed to what do I need to be afraid of? And again, it really is all about attitude. It's how you approach it. If you approach it with that sort of glass half full optimistic look at this is an opportunity for me to get better for my brand or my company to get better for us to be more cost effective and cost efficient in how we do things or more time efficient or effective in how we do things then i think you can start to embrace ai a little bit more friendly yeah absolutely that's such a great point it's like coming at it from a place of curiosity and like okay wow what can i learn about this and you know making sure that you do kind of have that mindset of like that lifelong student Shifting gears just a little bit, like you have a pretty like uh, impressive background and kind of have split your time between being a founder, entrepreneur, and also being an employee. Can you maybe talk about some of like maybe the mindset shifts that have had to go when you, you know, gone from being a founder to then being an employee in particular? Yeah, sure. I mean, the big one I think is pretty obvious. Like I'm not the ultimate decision maker when I'm working for somebody else. Um, but you know, my background is in the agency space. And so my attitude as an employee, whether I've worked for an agency or whether I've been a consultant for other clients and brands, uh, or whether I've worked on the brand side a couple of times as I'm doing now, 
my job, I've always had the attitude that my job is not to make decisions for clients. It's to make recommendations. And so they ultimately make the decision. So that puts me in the mindset of, Hey, I'm going to give you my best. And if it were up to me, here's what I would do, but I'm going to take the lead from you. And if you make the decision that either you know, goes against what I've recommended, that's okay. It's your, it's your brand, it's your company, it's your money, it's your investment. I'm going to serve because that's my role in this, in this particular organization or structure. When I'm on the marketing podcast network side of the aisle, or back when I was, you know, working for myself as a consultant, um, in a way, I'm still having that attitude if I have a client that I'm working with. But in terms of the decisions about the business, I can make that decision. And so I can be a little bit more, you know, pointed, maybe a little bit more aggressive, maybe a little more liberal with how I approach uh, decisions because, you know, I'm, I'm calculating that risk and I'm willing to take on more than maybe my client might be able to. In some attitude or some some uh, situations, my attitude might be that I need to be more conservative too. So uh, it is a different mindset. Um, I think there is a big change in you know leading and managing a business that is yours and that you ultimately have to be accountable for, um, and contributing to someone else's that you are um, in service to. Um, and I really think that word is important for people to understand service because I don't think people. Um, uh, in the work environment, unless you're in the nonprofit world, you don't think of what you're doing as service, right? Because you're getting paid for it and it's a job and all that kind of stuff. But every employee of every company is in service to that company or their bosses or the board of directors or, or stakeholders and shareholders uh, in what they are doing. And so if you have that sort of, I guess, servant attitude, to borrow a term probably from religion more than anything else, but if you have that servant attitude, um, then I think you're able to sort of accommodate those, uh, the demands of that organization and those jobs pretty well. When you're on your own, when you're doing your own thing, you're only really serving your own needs uh, in, a, in a meta, you know, sort of perspective. And so you can be a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more entrepreneurial, a little more, bit more of a risk taker and have a little bit more fun too, if, if, if you uh, look at it from that perspective. So it really is just kind of a difference in, I want to go out and be aggressive and have fun and do something, or I am in service to someone else's something to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And I would, yeah, and that point about service is such an important part, no matter if you're a founder, an employee, a freelancer, it doesn't matter. You're always going to be in service to somebody else. And framing it in that way. It's so important. Going back to when you made that switch from consultant to employee, what was the biggest thing you had to, you know, what was the biggest, like, you know, what was the biggest shock for you at that time? <laughs> um, well, so I started out the first part of my career. I spent as a PR guy in, in college athletics. So I had always been an employee and then I went out on my own and was a consultant and kind of built my own agency and got that sort of entrepreneurial bug. When I went back to being an employee, um, the biggest, it wasn't really a shock. I knew it was going to happen and I knew I was going to have to deal with it. But the biggest thing you have to encounter is your own ego, right? Because you're, you're, when you're running your own shop and doing your own thing and making your own decisions. And as long as you're managing your business and your budget, well, you, you think, uh, you, 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 tend to tell yourself that you're probably a lot smarter and a lot more sophisticated than you really are, right? You're, you're managing a business, which is something uh, very valuable and, and something that, that you should be very proud of. But at the same time, and, you know, unless you're 
Jeff Bezos and you've got billions of dollars, you know, the, the ego doesn't need to come with it. It's something that a lot of people can do and that you should be proud of it. But at the same time, a little humility obviously helps. When you go from being in that position where you are calling all the shots and it's all on your shoulders and you uh, take the uh, the risks and the rewards with that, and then you're put into a situation where you are, again, in service to someone else, your ego takes a little has to take a little bit of a backseat and might take a little bruising on the way down because you don't get to throw your fist down on the desk and say, damn it, we're going to do it this way because it's my way. You're in a different environment. You're working for someone else. You're in service to someone else. You're probably in an environment where you're collaborating with others and the buck doesn't stop with you. So if you don't have a really high level of emotional intelligence, uh, self-awareness, uh, confidence in your own abilities, that can be that can be a shock to your system. It can hurt you. Fortunately, um, I knew that something like that was going to happen. I've also been very well aware of my own ego. Um, because I have one. It's not always a bad thing to have ego. Basic confidence is also ego. Um, but I I know that I have to keep mine in check because I can it can get away from me. Um, and so that self-awareness really helped guide me through those changes in my career where I had to say, okay, I'm not the top dog anymore. I'm in service to someone else. So let's bring it down a couple of notches and try to fit into the organizational structure in a, in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. A follow-on question of that is, when you still find yourself maybe, you know, in kind of an ego moment, like what are some things, you know, you mentioned self-awareness and emotional intelligence, which I think are important, probably going to become even more important as AI becomes even more ingrained into the fabric of how we work. Um, what are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of check yourself when it comes to making sure your ego isn't kind of leading the decision? <laughs> That's always, it's always good to have a friend or a relative that'll <laughs> tell you like it is like, dude, get off your high horse. Right. Um, I've got some friends that I'll, you know, vent my frustrations with and who know that their role in that conversation is to bring me down off that high horse, get down off that pedestal and, and remind me of where I fit in things. It's always good too. And I think this is part, part of emotional intelligence and part of just business maturity. Uh, as you you know deal with various circumstances over the course of your career, um, it's always good to practice the art of counting to 10 and pulling your emotions out of it. Uh, because if your ego is driven by in, emotions in some form or fashion, right? If you are upset about a decision that's been made that went against you, it's you you get upset and that emotion is, you know, fueled by you know, your ego thinking that you're smarter and better than everybody around you. And so you need to be able to step back, count to 10 and go, okay, wait a minute. That's not reality. Let's let's take the emotion out of it and look at this logically. Put yourself in the shoes of the decision maker and look at, you know, their case and why they are deciding what they are deciding. And if you take the emotion out of it and start to think of it in terms of a rational decision making, you know, sort of thing, you can start to see, well, I might take a risk here, but they're a little risk averse or, you know, they're more concerned about the budget than maybe I would be in this situation. And so I can understand why they made the decision they made. And when you can bridge that gap of understanding and see things from their perspective, it tends to bring you down a little bit, puts more rational, logical thinking into your reaction and takes the emotion out of it. So I like to count to 10, take a deep breath, and then realize, again, that person 
has to make the decision. My job, again, is not to make the decision. My job is to make the recommendation. And then in that scenario, when they make that decision, I'm not a leader. I'm a follower. I have to follow their direction uh, and then, you know, turn on my leadership skills and helping execute them in the ways that I can. So count to 10, take a deep breath, try to take the emotion out of it, and that will help. That's awesome advice. Um, and before we wrap up, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> I know you are author, also an author, but so I'm going to discredit not putting your book out there, but what's one book you'd recommend that any marketing leader should read? Oh my goodness. Um, wow. There's so many. I got to look at my bookshelf. Um, I think... Probably one of my favorite books is Brand Hijack by Alex Whipperforth. Um, it's it's from like 2003, 2004, and it's it really has a lot to do. I'm always fa- I've read it two or three times because it talks about the power of community in uh, your ambassadors, your fans, your customers, sort of hijacking your brand, taking over. Um, and leading, you know, your own messaging and your own marketing, which is a little out of your control, but can be, you know, wrapped up in your control. And so understanding the power of your customers and building a brand in collaboration with them is very inspiring. It was one of the first books that I think a lot of social media marketers caught on to and said, hey, this isn't specifically written verbatim for social media but it's more of a brand and marketing advertising book. But at the same time, it was the first, one of the first books that walked into that sort of genre of collaboration with your customers. So Brand Hijack by Alex Whipperforth. How about that? Awesome. That's actually the first time I've heard that book mentioned. So I'd love to hear a new book added in there. Um, And if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Whoa. Dinner with any historical figure. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And I I think I would like to have dinner with him because I would like to share with him what has happened since his death and ask for his guidance and leadership in bringing, um, you know, more racial harmony to what we do. I think race has, Uh, a huge impact on societies around the globe. Um, And I think it's going to continue for decades. I don't think it's something we're going to solve quickly, Uh, but I would love to to hear what he had to say about how we could continue to um, bring the different sides of those issues. And there's multiple sides to it, bring us more together and and try to get rid of the uh, angst and anger that sometimes can fuel those types of situations. Martin Luther King Jr. would be a hell of a dinner date. Yeah, absolutely. That would be such an insightful conversation. Um, And I know you've written a book, totally shifting gears. I know you've written a book on influencer marketing. Um, But if you were to write another book tomorrow, could be on any topic, what would you write it about? (laughs) Business, personal, anything. Wow. Well, my, my next book idea that I have is actually a true crime book about some some people that I know and a relative is involved and it's a very good story. I just uh, haven't had the time or the discipline yet to sit down and kind of map it out. So I think my next book, if I were to take the time and had the, the time and resources to write one would probably be very different than anything I've written before. That's awesome. Well, it's been really great chatting with you on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Jason. Where can listeners find you online? 
Thanks a lot, Jessica, for having me. I am Jason Falls everywhere. So uh, all of the different social networks, I'm either Jason Falls or the Jason Falls. Um, I'm at jasonfalls.com. And then certainly if you're interested in uh, finding some user-generated content or influencer marketing for your business or brand, Scipio, C-I-P-I-O.ai is a great place to start. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.